I'm Michelle Matthews. I'm Senior Vice President at Purpose Built Communities. And today we're speaking with John Ippel, Executive Director, Community Quarterback, and the neighborhood that he works in is Boston Square and Cottage Grove. And we're excited to hear what's going on there today. John, so glad to be with you and uh, having the opportunity to learn a little bit more about the work you're doing in Boston Square and Cottage Grove neighborhoods. Um, I want to just start out, you know, sort of getting us into the space personally. Talk to me a little bit about how you and your family are doing in this time of COVID and with uh, all the protests and the unrest that we're seeing in the country. Just, Just how are you all doing? Well, thanks for asking, Michelle. Yeah, it's just such an interesting time. Um, you know, I think, you know, it just it's, it seems to be the successive challenge, right, of kind of economic uncertainty, then, you know, the kind of the the health crisis that we had, and then kind of this emerging racial tension that certainly is not new, but, you know, really has, has come to the forefront over the last several months. And so, you know, I think we live, our family lives intentionally in that healthy tension of, kind of honoring the moment for what it is um, and trying to really be reflective and supportive of, you know, the, the huge challenges that we have as a country. And yet, you know, I think we, we also kind of, uh, you know, suffer uh, right from, from some of these things as well. And so I'd say, you know, overall our health, our home is, is healthy and well, um, but certainly not in its optimal place by any stretch of the imagination either. I am always interested, you know, this work is about, people in community, and I know you have two children, I'm just curious, how are you helping them process this? You know, like, what's their reaction to some of the things that are going on? Yeah, so I have two young children, they're nine and eight years old, uh, and we have a uh, mixed race family. Um, And so, you know, these are very, these conversations are at the forefront. Um, And I think, you know, certainly with um, the issues of uh, police brutalities, uh, the protests that have been going around across the country and specifically here in Grand Rapids. All uh, right. You know, we had, um, you know, a, a few evenings of civil unrest that, you know, caused uh, pretty significant damage to our downtown areas and some adjoining neighborhoods. So, you know, it's difficult to, to talk to very young children about these things and just kind of, you know, allow them to absorb. So I think, you know, so some of the things that we've done that have helped I think just offered them kind of a, a, a more expansive perspective is here in Grand Rapids, they also had uh, youth-oriented protests the weekend after. And so we were able to participate in that um, and be, you know, kind of vocal proponents of, of Black uh, uh, Black Lives Matter. Um, and other kind of cool innovations that happened too is as significant damage was done, um, much of the plywood was then uh, painted uh, with artwork and, you know, in a large part, um, artists uh, of um, African-American and uh, Latinx um, um, heritage, right? So, you know, so just allowed a moment to kind of like talk through the art too, why people said certain things, right? And kind of what this means and, and that sort of thing. So, and, you know, there's been some kind of funny moments too that we also take uh, light in. So our son, who is uh, African-American, as we were kind of talking about kind of police issues, he informed me that he's not black, he's brown. Um, and so, so as a young kid, it's, it's also really interesting to just kind of like, uh, unpeel that, right? That that's kind of how he he sees himself, and you know certainly that's going to evolve as he gets older. But but it does offer those kind of funny moments too, of of um, you know kind of walking through these things uh, together. 
Yeah, I think we all need to be in a listening posture. And I think understanding where youth is and how this is going to affect their leadership as they grow into that, I think it's mm-hmm. really, really, really critical. So why don't we start out um, by you sharing with us uh, sort of a brief description of, you know, the neighborhood that you work in, the geography, and kind of why this neighborhood was one that was ripe for transformation and a purpose-built effort. Yeah. Um, So I'll start big and then narrow in. Um, So Grand Rapids, West Michigan, um, up until covid probably was one of the more successful kind of local economies across the country. So just tremendous amount of population growth, record lows, unemployment, and, you know, all the statistics that you want to, you want to have the accolades for. Simultaneously, Forbes came out with um, the worst uh, cities for African-Americans to um, economically uh, participate. And Grand Rapids was ranked number two, uh, number two behind Milwaukee, Wisconsin. So, you know, so Grand Rapids kind of exemplifies kind of a tale of two cities. On one hand, we, we've just enjoyed tremendous economic success. Simultaneously, those successes have not translated to all people in Grand Rapids and all people groups. And so I think that really begins to inform our work. So in terms of why the neighborhoods that we chose are kind of working in, you know, I think probably a, a better way of, of describing it is that historically, this is where the African-American population is. It's probably about, you know, uh, uh, maybe 20 percent of kind of predominantly the African American historic African American community, but it's also a place that's at the crossroads of, of gentrification and disinvestment. So on one hand, uh, we have 1.5 percent of total investment dollars have gone has gone into about a third of the the city geographically. Yet it's also the place that's probably most prone to to see significant investments and probably investments if not managed correctly, are going to lead to significant displacement and kind of demographic turnover. So we're working, as as you mentioned, Michelle, into two specific neighborhoods, um, the Boston Square and Cottage Grove um, areas. And so really, these are actually business districts and it's uh, the surrounding adjacent neighborhoods that are where the residents live. Historically, uh, Cottage Grove uh, employed um, thousands of people uh, in you know, furniture and manufacturing and food processing. And to a large degree, those jobs have fled this neighborhood. And it's kind of the typical stories of, you know, macroeconomic uh, changes to industry, it's disinvestment, it's redlining, it's, uh, you know, forced uh, closure of schools, right? So it's this cascade of policies and investment decisions that have been made that have yielded a, a pretty significant kind of vacant, blighted industrial area, kind of the heart of this neighborhood. And so... Uh, a part of our work, uh, really, I think, is kind of the fourth, uh, the fourth dimension, so to speak, of purpose built, uh, in really trying to expand uh, and, and create more economic opportunities, with the ultimate goal of creating uh, more economic mobility for uh, many of the people that that we're working with. And so that's kind of a, a big part of of kind of the work here locally in Grand Rapids. Before I get you to talk a little bit about some of the work that you've done to date and what you're most proud of. At Purpose Built, we have really been leaning much more into centering ourselves and our leadership and thinking about it from a race and equity lens. And so I'd be really interested, what drew you to this work as a, as a white male and sort of how do you see, again, in this moment, your leadership within this community, given that you're a white male? Yeah. So certainly, if you had to describe the right type of leader for this work, I probably would not have several of the uh, the attributes that one would describe uh, for this work. But I think, you know, the reason why I'm involved in this work is because 
I care so deeply for community. Um, I, I care so deeply to, you know, help facilitate more vibrant uh, communities. That's why I got into community development work in the first place. And, I, and as my career has evolved, I've also recognized that uh, benefits are not being uh, uh, evenly gained uh, by all. So I think, you know, as my journey became more kind of focused uh, first on the real estate development, uh, next uh, chapter was more in environmental sustainability and kind of seeing some of the uh, lack of success there. And this third chapter has really been focused more on you know, kind of expanding on the, the ideas of environmental justice to also include things like racial justice, et cetera. And so, so I think one of the words that we try to use here in this office is operationalizing equity. We, we internally talk a lot about like, is the equity lens the right lens or is it, is it, is it, it has to become such a point that it's, it's, it basically becomes a part of the eyeball, right? It's not the lens that we're applying on top of the eye. Um, it becomes part of the eye. And so part of what we're trying to do is and everything we do operationalize equity, so it, it kind of becomes the default choice, uh, not that this extra additive thing that that we need to think through. Um, and so that's kind of the goal that we're trying to get. And certainly we're a long ways away from there, but kind of how we're we're trying to think of this work. So, you know, a couple of the ways that that happens here is, you know, we're um, in terms of our our um, consultant and um, kind of contracting. That's one area that we've really been in, uh, emphasizing in terms of where our dollars are flowing. Uh, from a construction perspective, we've made uh, public commitments that at minimum 30% of our work uh, is going to go to like local minority women-owned uh, businesses. You know, so those are a couple of the ways that we've we've been successful thus far, and certainly a lot more that we have to do. And I think, lastly, right, as a a white male, I kind of own my place in this world, right, and the tremendous privilege um, that I personally have benefited because of you know things that are kind of out of my control, right? Uh, you know, I was born white, and I was born a male. Um, but how do I lean into that and, you know, and lean into these very, um, you know, sometimes uncomfortable conversations, and, but also make sure that I'm, I'm being a positive lover for change, too, in the position that I, that I hold. And so, so we have a tremendously diverse of staff. Um, majority um, are, 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 you know, are the, I'm the only white male uh, in, on the team. And so, you know, so we have, we have very frank and sometimes painful conversations. Um, and certainly my, our team has done a great job of, I think, you know, equipping me and hopefully, you know, offering my own perspective too, that ultimately we're, we're better together um, as a team that, that trusts each other and leans upon each other. Great. That's, I think, really helpful for people to, to sort of understand how you're situated and how you're working with your team and how you're working with um, community. So let's, let's brag a little bit on community. Like what yeah. are some of the, the accomplishments and things that you and the community is most proud of that you've been able to accomplish since you started. Yeah, thanks, Michelle, for adding to that. Um, it's fun that we're now at a phase where we can talk more about successes and not ideas, um, being a four-year-old organization. So some of the things I think we're, I, well, I think, you know, the thing that I love about Purpose Built is that we do have this positive camaraderie, right? There's a level of like a positive competition um, between our, our network, right, of like, oh, you have an early learning center? Well, let me tell you about my early learning center, right? And I think it's a good thing that we're both supporting each other um, in terms of like, you know, sharing knowledge and ideas and perspective, but we all have pride for our local neighborhoods too, right? And so I think, you know, that's the great thing about the Purpose Built Network is we learn, we fellowship, and we get to, to uh, poke each other a little bit too uh, and get fun. So, um, so some of the things I think we're most proud of uh, that we've been successful at to date is, um, you know, we started 
first uh, working on like, you know, what are the small wins that we can start to, to do? And so, which I think is so vital, right? Of like, you know, how do you, how do you take idea and begin to demonstrate that this is not just talk? It's not another, another uh, grand idea that has little traction um, and, and many neighborhoods in particular in this neighborhood, that certainly is part of our history and part of why, you know, we, we got pushback, right? Is that, um, is that, People were suspicious to varying degrees of, of was this either well-intended uh, but going to be poorly executed, or uh, are we saying one thing but actually going to do something else? So I think that's that's kind of rightly where we need to be positioned. So, so some of that work um, was first focused on home ownership, uh, and so to date, uh, we have worked now with 80 homeowners in the neighborhood uh, to renovate uh, homes. These are all uh, individuals that um, are. Um, making 100% of the area median income or lower, and the vast majority are in the 50% uh, and lower. Some of the other great statistics are 84% of the households um, are African American owned, right? So in, in many cases, these are, are legacy um, families that have lived here for over a generation, um, and that you know we're really supporting to ensure that they're benefiting and participating from neighborhood growth, and that's really a, a core objective for us in terms of wealth creation. Um, I, I think another one that we're really um, proud of to date is uh, we have now uh, successfully moved uh, five businesses into the neighborhood. Each five of those uh, are in a building that was formerly vacant, blighted, uh, in most cases environmentally contaminated. So, so we've been able to facilitate significant uh, investments into the neighborhood, helping create more vibrant place and you know, activating things that were ugly works into places that are you know, greater sources of beauty. And our hope is that that five is ultimately becomes closer to 50. You know, so we're 10% in, um, but you know, I think we have great success there. And with that, it's not just about the businesses. We're really um, asking a lot from these employers, and it's more like a, a, a social compact that we're asking them to, to hire. And so part of what's in the lease is a commitment to minimum 30% local hiring, a commitment to livable wages and benefits. Um, and if not a very clear and individualized work plan for each individual that's not making fifty to fifteen dollars an hour, commitment to either returning, uh, being a returning citizen friendly hire, or uh, uh, commitments to workforce training. And so in most cases, uh, these five businesses are doing that. So to date, about a hundred employees. So at, I think last check, about thirty three of them were uh, reside within the neighborhood uh, that we work. And so you know, if you kind of begin to do the, the calculations, right, this is hundreds of thousands of dollars of, of new um, new money that, that's circulating in this in this neighborhood. And then lastly, um, so that's more in the Cottage Grove area. In the Boston Square area, uh, we're wrapping up a, a two-year-long community engagement process that uh, is called Boston Square Together. So when uh, this vision is implemented, uh, we're going to city council in a couple of weeks, um, we'll ultimately um, house upwards of 270 mixed-income uh, units, an early learning center, a park, uh, 60,000 square feet of space oriented towards local entrepreneurship. You know, so it's going to be a very significant um, multi-phase uh, development that's been entirely driven out of uh, community engagement and feedback. And so, and so we entitled this Boston Square Together because this very much is a partnership that we're doing uh, together uh, with local uh, residents and, and organizations. And so uh, so we're excited to to move that uh, portion forward here uh, in the next year or so. Uh, a lot of those things are really exciting, and I love that the whole idea of it's not just the physical infrastructure, but what are we doing to help with economic mobility and help 
you know, current residents uh, with some of that rehabbing that you're talking about. That's what it's all about. In addition to bringing new opportunities into the neighborhood. So, you know, you're doing a lot of, a um, lot of things, very busy. And um, you mentioned this community engagement. So let me pivot just a little bit to the pandemic and how the relationship and the work that you've been doing in the neighborhood. First, how's your neighborhood doing in terms of, uh, you know, the degree to which you know statistics of how COVID-19 has impacted your residents and, you know, from a health perspective. And then just sort of generally, how have you been with the work you've done previously positioned to help your neighborhood sort of given the challenges of COVID? Certainly things have been challenging uh, in the neighborhood. So I think, you know, certainly many of the families that we work with have been disproportionately impacted by COVID directly. Um, And so we've had a couple of people that have since passed away, unfortunately, that we uh, previously were working with. Um, Many more that have received it. So statistics, um, the zip code that we're working in is, has the uh, second highest incident rate of COVID uh, in West Michigan, right? So this is kind of one of those hot spot clusters, unfortunately. From an equity perspective, right, like we can kind of begin to imagine all the, the cascade of other impacts, you know, an elevated number of single, uh, single parent households. So thinking about how education has changed and become more um, virtual, right, that, that certainly is a, a significant challenge uh, for some of our um, some of the families in the neighborhoods that we serve. And then uh, from an economics perspective, um, certainly a disproportionate amount of folks that have been uh, laid off or furloughed, um, you know, folks working in the manufacturing sectors or the, the hospitality or service um, sectors. So, so yeah, so there's been kind of a cascade of, of challenges that I think have, you know, kind of increased um, some of the tensions, uh, right, in, in the community. But, you know, I think by and large, though, right, I think, you know, people are still by and large, oriented um, to a positive direction. So I think you know there's still a level of hope that that things will improve. But there's there's you know let's be real, there's significant challenges. So some of the ways that we've been able to pivot um, and you know be more of a direct um, kind of uh, in some ways uh, be getting more into the kind of program service delivery, um, which historically is not the space that we we typically work in is. We have facilitated direct uh, payments to over 225 uh, families that were laid off. Um, and so that was just one way to you know, provide direct financial assistance as things like uh, unemployment you know, are kind of slow to, to be delivered. So that's one way. Uh, the second way is uh, we're working with an organization called OneBillion.org and three of the neighborhood elementary schools uh, and will ultimately be um, giving a kind of contained uh, tablet um, that provides uh, both uh, reading, literacy, and numeracy instruction for kindergartners and first graders. And so we should hopefully be getting the, receiving those next week and we'll start uh, uh, be delivering those. And so really with the idea being that, you know, as kids are out of school for extended periods, how do we also ensure that they're, you know, being equipped with the right tools to be ready for uh, for third grade uh, reading and math uh, proficiency. And so that's really what we're we're trying to work on here. So those are just two ways that we've we kind of have adapted over the last six months to be responsive uh, to the needs of the neighborhood.
how are you seeing, you know, maybe to give you sort of the contrast, if COVID had hit uh, the first year that you were doing this work versus now when you've developed relationships, you know, sort of how do you articulate sort of the sweet spot of being a community quarterback in a community, having those relationships and then being able to sort of be agile of being responsive, but also continuing to look at the big picture of what you want the transformation to be. Yeah. I think for us, it's a both ends, right? You know, as a a quarterback organization, we're not going to have direct relationships with all 10,000 people that live in the neighborhood. That's kind of an impossible task. But simultaneously, we do have, you know, a a significant number of relationships that we do have. And so I think it's kind of, it's being that balance of of knowing and being informed by residents, not every, in each residence, but certainly kind of a a, a significant amount that you, you have a general sense of what some of the challenge, emerging challenges could be. And so I think, you know, if this had emerged four years ago, you know, I think that would have been a different dynamic of, of kind of knowing how we could best kind of adapt and, and, and be more of a support. You know, I think kind of the other perspective here locally in Grand Rapids is we're not the tip of the spear, right? There's, you know, we're a tip of the spear. And so there's other ways you know, that, that people are receiving support and perspective and that sort of thing. And so I think, you know, the other part of this is just, you know, really making sure that we're maintaining good relationships with other community organizations that are, that perhaps are doing more uh, program delivery and things of that nature, right? That we can kind of together tap into other networks and other resources to ensure that, you know, residents that each one of us are are connected with are, are getting the, the needs that they have, whether it be housing, whether it be food, whether it be financial assistance, health, et cetera. You mentioned about being a part of the purpose-built um, network, and you know we keep up with you know a lot of the trends and where things are going. And it, it, it feels like this is a moment where this idea of place-based work is really had been getting resonance and uh, more people saying it's a it's the right approach. And now I, I'm just curious how do you sort of situate the narrative around place-based work in your community and how are, you know, other stakeholders, uh, is that resonating with people? Are people seeing the value of that? How are you, how is that sort of situating itself in the narrative in your engagement with people? Yeah, I think for, and here locally in Grand Rapids, um, you know, for us, it's the function of the the people in the place, right? Um, The people are manifestations of the place and the places. Um, are um, a, are derived from the people, right? So it becomes hopefully this this virtuous cycle and the interplay of, of both. And so I think the idea of this holistic approach to neighborhood and to, to this place place idea um, that's working in housing, that's working in community, that's working in uh, economic mobility and education, like it's very intuitive to most people. And so uh, and maybe in some cases it's too intuitive um, because um, people think that they're doing that already. Like, well, if you really let's, let's pull the, the the onion back a little bit and see how this is really working. You know, so it's a good it's a good conversation to dialogue with. I think the other part of this work and how purpose built is different is because uh, the 28 or so purpose built uh, uh, affiliates uh, were community quarterbacks, right? So we're we're relatively small organizations that are not doing the direct delivery of this work. Is you know we're really working in partnership. This work does not happen unless you're working in partnership. And so I think that's uh, that probably is a little bit more of, of kind of the, the the more challenging conversation of of how do I how is Amplify differently situated than different organizations that are working on. So I think 
you know, that really provides both the opportunity and, and sometimes the kind of the challenge of what role, what roles we play as, as quarterback organizations. So, you know, for us, we personally, we have a, a seven person team um, that's probably uh, directly or indirectly involved in, you know, over a hundred million dollars worth of work. And so obviously seven people can't do that, but it's through cultivating these relationships with both for-profit and non-profit organizations that um, have found uh, alignment on a, on a, on a common purpose. And so, so maybe not everybody's purpose and alignment is kind of a hundred percent in line with what us, but certainly there's, there's components that are. And so that's, that's kind of the fun part about this work is finding where, where is that crossover that, that we can uh, successfully work together. As part of, you know, the work we've been doing with community of practice and getting network members together, we've been talking a little bit about this idea of relief, recovery, and then resilience. And that we want, while we know it's challenging and we're dealing with some of the relief issues right now, ultimately we know this is going to sort of go long range, right? That um, is going to be part of the recovery and then continuing to build back neighborhoods stronger. How are you seeing the next six to 18 months in light of this moment that we're in, in terms of the plans that you have and, and what are your priorities for moving the neighborhood forward? Yeah. You know, I think, you know, there's an element of scenario planning that we're trying to do to think of through kind of what, you know, optimistically can we continue to push through, but also recognizing that there may be a point for some of these things that they need to be delayed until things uh, need to, you know, kind of resolve itself. And so, you know, I think that's kind of one of the assessments, right? Like the early learning center, like that's such a vitally important part of this work. Is that type of, of atmosphere um, going to be fully sustainable in the next six months, right? I think, you know, um, those are some of the decision points that we need to make. We're also hoping to make a food hall here in Boston Square. That's another one. It's kind of this idea of the social space where people congregate and eat a variety of different foods. That's probably not an attainable type of, of, of business practice, but is it, could we do it in a way that's adaptable enough that, you know, maybe it serves more as kind of a takeout uh, ghost kitchen, so to speak, in its first iteration uh, with the hopes that it, that it could become kind of this more communal uh, food hall uh, type of place uh, when things get back to whatever the new normal is. And so, yeah, you know, so it's kind of that, you know, I think we're all, most of us are oriented to be optimists. Um, you know, that we were hoping that things get back to normal quickly, but there is an element of, I think, kind of pragmatism that we have to intentionally apply to this work to uh, make sure we're setting things up for success. You know, and I think, and so some of that might be, it's more design changes that we need to think through versus like changes in use necessarily. But, you know, but things like affordable housing, those issues are not going away in any stretch of the imagination. They're probably even going to be uh, more important, right? As we move forward, and people are uh, losing um, losing uh, wages and that sort of thing. So, yeah, you know. So I think those are some of the the kind of the challenges that we work through. And I don't think any of us have have all the right answers at this point, other than to be intentionally inquisitive about this issue to figure out how best to uh, to to move forward. How are you seeing your leadership sort of coming out of this? In other words. Are there some lessons learned uh, that just sort of being doing really hard things at a really hard time? Are there some some sort of key nuggets that you would share that you take away from, you know, the first half of 2020? Yeah. Place-based work requires us to be 
approximate uh, and, and cultivating relationships, right? And so, uh, so it's very difficult to do that when we're uh, intentionally trying to distance ourselves from people. And so, so I think that has been probably the area where we've, we've needed to evolve the most of how do we ensure that we're still cultivating uh, authentic neighborhood relations and that it's not static, right? That, you know, if we entered COVID with, you know, a hundred, you know, friends that we don't have still a hundred friends um, as we kind of exit this, this next chapter. And so, so that's required us to think things a little bit differently in terms of how we engage with the community. Um, things like, you know, providing and facilitating neighborhood grants, right, to help cultivate some of this stuff. And some of it may be uh, uh, facilitated online. You know, those are some of the things that we're really trying to um, trying to figure out. And I think even from a staff dynamic too, right, is that, you know, even though uh, we're, we're largely working kind of away from each other, how do we also ensure that there is some physically being present, even if it's six feet away, um, at times, right? And so that's going to look different, but I think it's so vitally important from an ideation standpoint and from kind of relationship standpoint that we just don't ex- entirely rely on uh, online platforms to, to kind of conduct our business. At the top of our conversation, we were beginning to talk a little bit about you and your family and this moment with, you know, the protests of the police and Black Lives Matter and some of the things that we have been seeing. How is that playing out with conversations, residents and people within the community or people leaning in to those kinds of things? And are you seeing protests in your neighborhood or is it, yes, those are going on, but, you know, it's not as visible perhaps there as it is when we look at the nightly news? Yeah, I think my, and again, this comes from the vantage point of a white male, so I don't know if uh, I'm most equipped to answer this question, but, you know, I think my perspective is that certainly these these challenges have been percolating long before what happened this spring happened or this summer. Um, and so I think for many, it's been kind of a cathartic experience of, you know, a lot of raw and pent up emotions of feeling, um, um, you know, diminished and discriminated against and looked over in many cases. And, and so certainly even with our team, right, that, that there's been this kind of this cathartic process of, you know, really needing to kind of share some of these, uh, in many cases, very difficult life experiences that have happened. In many cases with police, um, economics, um, and, you know, a lot of other types of things that have happened. And, and so I think as a real, so that's kind of the staff. And I think, you know, for many that I talked to in the neighborhood, it's, it's been kind of the same kind of process of just, you know, really, um, I think providing kind of this, this process, right, of, of voicing um, these grievances, but I think also simultaneously being exhausted, right, that, that these challenges have been um, lasting a lifetime and, and many lifetimes, quite frankly, right, that, that some of these challenges that span generations and, and kind of has an additive effect. On one's life, and so, so I think you know, for us, for our team, I think there's a level of hope. Um, there's a level of seeing new people be engaged in new ways, and so I think that's a, a sign of hope. You know that that you know I think even seeing like right things like sports teams uh, now uh, recognizing that they need to change their names. Like there is something significant about this moment that would make it does make it feel like like that the changes are afoot. Um, and so I certainly see that in terms of conversations about uh, police budgeting and uh, revisiting should there be increases in other 
types of community development efforts here in Grand Rapids, right? There's just kind of one manifestation that, that's come up. And so, so I think there's hope, but I think we also need to be real that, that uh, for many, this is, there's a significant population too that, that still denies these challenges to you. And so, uh, and so I think, you know, it's just, again, in our space of living in these different uh, worlds and, you know, trying to be a bridge, trying to offer perspective, uh, but also being unabashedly uh, for creating more equity and more equitable opportunities for the folks that we serve. And so that's the place that we choose to we choose to operate in on a daily basis. It's heavy. And, um, you know, I have sort of two phrases that have been in my mind as I talk to people as I'm wrestling with all of these things. You know, it's heartbreaking, but it, there's hopefulness. It's uh, one of the other EDs on the call on Friday said, it's brut- brutal and beautiful at the same time. Hmm. So, um, you know, can you can you lift up a couple things that have sort of been beautiful in the in the in the midst of this? Some some positive things that have been the result of you all coming together as community and some of the outreach and relief work that you're doing. Um, you know, give us give us that hope that while it is challenging, there's also beautiful stuff happening in the neighborhood. Yeah, I think I'll intentionally keep it at a high level but i think there have been many that along um, along the journey that have offered kind of different levels of skepticism of our work and i think um i think to me the hope is that we are now at a point where we need to roll up our sleeves and and kind of put our 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 challenges aside or our suspicions aside and so i think you know I, i think as i i we often use this word together right is that we can't do this work apart. It's too big. It's too complex. Um, and it requires unusual uh, coalitions of, of individuals and organizations to really resolve these things and to offer kind of a full perspective of what's going on. And so I think for me, the hope, the greatest hope is that um, is that there does seem to be more and more people that are rolling up their sleeves and, and wanting to you know, be a part of something different, uh, to reorient uh, the trajectory of the neighborhoods that we're working in and, and you know, and, and truly work in partnership. And so I think that's the part that gives me uh, the greatest hope. Um, and so it, it makes the work exciting and challenging. I've kind of guided the conversation with some, some questions, but I'm always interested in what didn't I ask you that you wish I had asked you that either allows you to, you know, brag on some, your staff or on your partners or something that that's going on that somehow we haven't had an opportunity to talk about. Maybe I'll brag on the staff. That's always a good place to start. So, you know, I think as we kind of shut down the the physical office and started working virtually, you know, I think it's been so amazing to see um, the team adapt and, you know, work in kind of a more independent way um, that, you know, quite frankly, has enabled them to make more uh, decisions. And so I think, you know, from a leadership perspective, it's really um, encourage me, right, that like, you know, to really entrust and, and create more of a framework of enabling uh, folks to make the right types of the decisions um, and not necessarily always having to be directly involved. And so I think that's been just one really cool thing that, that I think has continued to evolve and grow uh, with our work. Yeah, you know, I think other things to, to highlight, I think, you know, our education work, we didn't really talk about that too much. And so I think that's another area that you know, I think there's going to be initial challenges in this kind of COVID moment, but I think whenever we exit out of this into whatever our new normal is going to be, um, I'm really hopeful that the kind of the educational outcomes of our children are 
going to be better positioned. And so, you know, I think I'm really hopeful regarding some of the, the community conversations that are going on to, you know, think about education and kind of evolving ways um, that is more place-based. Um, and so, um, so I'm really excited to see where that leads in the next year or so as well. Sort of as a point of privilege, just in our working relationship, I would be remiss. You have been one of the key executive directors that have been helping purpose built think about a community of practice and thinking about how we uh, are able to tap into all the great work that you all are doing locally, but be able to cross pollinate and learn from each other. I'm just curious um, how you're feeling about the community of practice work that's happening in the network and how um, you see it helping you and your team as it matures to be able to continue to do even better work. Yeah, I think of this as, as an ecosystem, right? And we're, we're trying to facilitate and, and curate a network of people, all that largely have a common interest uh, in place-based work across the country. And so I think the great thing about this is we all share equal passion for this work, um, but we also have very different perspectives, experiences, and, and uh, gain knowledge um, in different aspects of this work. And so I think for me, what, what has in my, my career has been so vitally important is, is relationships, right? Is, is kind of uh, uh, developing authentic uh, relationships with others that I find, um, you know, to be inspiring or, you know, um, leaders in their own right. And then leadership doesn't necessarily mean that they're a higher position to me. It's just that they're excelling in, in whatever they're doing. And so I think as this, uh, as this uh, uh, group, the Purpose Built Communities uh, Network continues to grow, uh, that's going to be even more vitally important that we're, we're facilitating and kind of, you know, curating these relationships amongst people, but then also enabling the dissemination of, of information. And so, you know, Michelle, you may be working on something today that I'm not going to find useful until two years from now, right? And so how do we create a system that allows that that information to live in a way that I can find it when it becomes relevant two years down the road. And I think to, to me, that's the greatest opportunity is, you know, in a sense, we have a hundred or more people that are working on this work in different ways full time, right? And so how do we mine the best and the brightest of all of those hundred folks in a way that, that we can connect that information? So I think that's the challenge and the opportunity ahead. And again, you know, I think through relationships and through, you know, being intentional um, of how we, we, we do this, that we can, we can build and curate something beautiful. Well, thank you, John. It has been such a pleasure talking with you this afternoon and you sharing a little bit about what's happening in your, uh, in your neighborhood. Any final words you want to leave us with? No, I, I miss you, Michelle, and the Purpose Built team. So I'm glad to see that you are well. Um, and yeah, I just look forward to being able to reconnect and what else is going on. just finished talking with John Ippol and you know really what struck me about the conversation that I really enjoyed was 
how much they're doing around the economics of what's happening in their neighborhood. And so it was a great conversation, a lot of innovative things that are happening there. It's always a pleasure to talk to John.